Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan with pureandsimplebible.com, and we're in the middle of a great conversation with Brother Kevin Fox, and we're talking about worthiness and unworthiness, and an, an example of that found in John chapter 8. Sometimes it's really fascinating to slow down and break down scriptures and just kind of meditate on them. That's what we've been doing. It's what we're going to continue to do. And I invite you to listen in to this conversation, feel like you're a partner in it. And let's jump back into it, shall we? But they thought, now we've really got him here because we've caught her in the act. And if he says that she should be forgiven, then he's a lawbreaker. We've got him. Because he's going to break the law, yeah. and the Messiah can't break the law. And right. therefore, if the if he breaks the law, he can't be the Messiah, and we're in charge again. Right. That's sort of what they're looking for. Right. And Jesus, in his beautiful way of teaching, doesn't respond immediately to their question because their question isn't sincere. Right. If he had responded the other way, what would they have gained? Because you give us that one side. Uh, if he's compassionate, we'll get him as a lawbreaker. What if he comes down hard on the woman with Deuteronomy says stoner? What you know? What would be, what would be their angle in him keeping the law? Well, that's a great question, and it would almost give them an opportunity to puff their chest out and say, "Ah, see, yes, yes, this we we are right, and this is what we've been telling you all along." Mm. And that would have been, I think, the the shocker. And maybe they wouldn't have known uh, what to do with it. <laughs> we weren't expecting this. Yeah. I, I don't know. What do you think? That's, I'm curious. That's a great question. I'm curious if, you know, they were always jealous of his popularity. That was one of their main, I believe it's one of their main sources of contention is that he's preaching a message that perhaps they deem as false. But the fact that he has a following when maybe they've been, the stewards of the law, the, they've been putting that hedge around the law with their traditions, but the the people aren't responding to them in kind. I'm curious if even if he would answer something that they would think is right, they would be gleeful to see the masses give up on him because he wasn't compassionate anymore. That's right. Now, what's unique is that Jesus doesn't approach every situation exactly the same. Mm-hmm. When he heals the man who was lowered in through the roof, he first says, son, your sins are forgiven, mm-hmm. before he heals him, which is a lesson in and of itself. And as he says that, before he heals the man who's on the mat that's been lowered in through the roof, mm-hmm. he reads the hearts of the Pharisees who were in the crowded house that day or perhaps peering through the windows, and they were saying, this blasphemer, yeah, he's forgiving sins. Yeah. Now, of course, if we're to put ourselves in their sandals, they'd probably traveled up to Galilee where that particular miracle happened and they had heard of the miracles that Jesus was doing and they were looking for an opportunity to accuse him 
And if you or I were to commit some sin against each other in that day and time, I don't know, maybe I stole a donkey or your. How dare you? You know, and I want to tell you I'm sorry. I don't just tell you, hey, Jonathan, I'm sorry. I say, and I need to go to the temple to get this straightened out. Mm-hmm. And, and there was an avenue under the law at the time to go to the temple and get that straightened out. Oh, I get where you're going with this. Jesus didn't tell the man to go to the temple. He took care of it on his own up there. Jesus took the temple to him. Yeah. And he had the authority to do that. Mm-hmm. And when he forgives him, I think the Pharisees were saying blasphemer and then feel the threat of what if he's going around forgiving sins? Guess what? Nobody has to go to the temple. Right. And all of a sudden, their worth is diminished. Uh-huh. Their net worth uh-huh. is diminished. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that wild to think that maybe that the Pharisees were concerned about their financial situation yeah. mm-hmm. if Jesus was in charge? I wonder if that's one as of the reasons, they should have been. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they asked Peter, "Does your does your master pay the temple tax?" Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. They they were concerned about they were concerned about money. Yeah. And so when Jesus in that moment is challenged by them, they say, who is he that can forgive sins right. here? Right. He says, while the Son of Man is on earth, he has the power to forgive sin. Mm-hmm. And so on that occasion, when he's challenged on why he's forgiven someone, he just explicitly says, here's the reason why. Yeah. Because... I am the Son of Man. That's what he's saying when he says, while the Son of Man is on earth. He says it in a subtly loud way when he says the Son of Man because the Son of Man is a is a subtle statement, but it's a very loud declaration of authority mm-hmm. in reference to the Daniel 7 prophecy. Right. And so he says, while the Son of Man is on earth, he has the power to forgive sin. Right. Yet when they bring this woman to Jesus, caught in adultery, and, and let's just imagine for the sake of just the story that these were the same guys that had questioned him for <laughs> forgiving sins up sure. in up in Galilee. If they weren't, they knew the stories. Mm-hmm. And so even if he does forgive her, where's he going to be forgiving her now? In the temple. Now, you want to talk about uh, a brazen act against the establishment. Yeah. Maybe they thought, now, this will really be the icing on the cake that will allow us to come after him if he's just going to say right here in the temple, here it is, and you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so he chooses a more subtle approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. and He just starts writing in the sand. <laughs> must, must. I think in the Koine Greek it's doodle, is it? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I've I've read different. It's all speculation. We'll never know what he wrote. Uh, I've read one that said he doodled just to make them feel uncomfortable. I've read others that said he wrote the names of their girlfriends uh, to call out their hypocrisy of what's going on. But we just can't know. All we know is that action must have been maddening to someone who's demanding him to speak, and he responds by well, doodling in the dirt. 
I can't wait to watch the DVD in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I'm, I'm wait. St- they have they have DVDs. <laughs> it's not going to be all digital, like uh, you know. Oh, we're not going to stream I've dated, it. <laughs> I dated myself here. <laughs> we're not going to watch VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, it, they're uh, they better be kind and rewind. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, for those under a certain age, <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> I think Jesus choice of writing in the sand could have been something that they read it's could have been just a way of sort of waiting patiently on how the situation was going to develop i do think that if what he wrote in the sand was significant that john would have recorded it Mm. so i i think john masterful writer inspired by the Holy Spirit leaves us to wonder yeah, for good reason. Sure. And maybe it's not uh, what he wrote. Maybe it's just the fact that he was writing. Maybe it's just the fact that, uh, let me read this real quick, Jeremiah 17 and verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. Hmm. Those okay. what, what, who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living water. All right. What what should I be seeing whenever I consider Jeremiah 17 and John 8? Potentially that those who brought this woman to Jesus see Jesus riding in the earth and recall that the prophet Jeremiah said that those who would forsake the Lord, Mm. their names would be written in the earth. And I don't know that he's writing their name. It may be the action of, of stooping down and writing in the sand that brought a realization to them that he is subtly letting us know that what we've done here by devaluing this woman is a turning away because we've valued bringing her to judgment over repenting ourselves. Right. Right. I don't know if that's right or not, but it is interesting that there is a verse in Jeremiah that references, quote-unquote, scribbling in the sand, Mm. as uh, the beautiful poet Michael Card once said about this this, uh, story. But it doesn't seem to have the effect on them that we would hope, because the very next verse says, they kept asking him. Again, I think when you're stuck in the role of a hypocrite or of, you know, having the beam in your own eye, you can't see some very plain gestures that are happening here. Jesus is obviously taking time. He's not jumping on their question. And while he's scribbling in the sand, it just says in verse 7, they continued to ask him. It's almost like they're over his shoulder while he's doing this, harassing him, when if they would just look, you know, they could see 
maybe there was more that meets the eye here. So, so then Jesus says a verse that a lot of people know, by the way. Oh, they do. Yes. This is this is an incredibly popular verse, and I I think it ought to be one that we know. Yes. But it ought to be one that we know within the context. Sure. And he says, "Let him who is without sin among you." be the first to throw a stone at her. And here he's addressing not only the sin in question, but the method of judgment that would have been administered to her. The question is, where's the man? Right, (laughs) right. And Levitical law deemed that if someone was caught in adultery you you brought both correct adultery is not a sin for one that's right and perhaps this is also the straw that breaks the camel's back that they ultimately realize that in their haste to bring judgment they're breaking the law themselves right let him who is without sin cast the first stone and maybe his scribbling in the sand was legible to them, and he wrote something that they were convicted of. Um, maybe it was just the act of writing in the ground and a quote-unquote hyperlink to Jeremiah. Or uh, maybe it was just in time they realized that they weren't getting what they thought they came to get and now the crowd begins to the crowd begins to look at them and they begin to feel guilty themselves or at least inadequate for the situation and it says they begin to leave yeah yeah it, it says the older ones first hmm. the ones have the most sense perhaps that's what i've wondered why why the older ones first maybe the younger ones had initiated this and they were they were tied to it but once more it says he bent down and wrote in the ground after he said it so he he writes all he speaks is let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her yeah. so he doesn't he doesn't say explicitly like he does in the story of the man who's brought through the roof son your sins are forgiven he just speaks to them yeah He speaks to the accusers, but in speaking to the accusers, the woman on the ground is reminded of her worth, I think. Right. There's suddenly an equivalency between her and the accusers of who is without sin, and no one can answer the charge, I am, and they stick around, they all leave. Is it a beautiful way to put to picture what Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Because some of us know it, we're in the ground. Some of us just are in the crowd that day who perceive it in other people, recognize they do have some faults. Yeah. But at least I'm not like her, <laughs> right? It, which is what right. we say, maybe not vocally, but uh, with our thoughts sometimes. We're around Jesus, but at least I'm not like that person. Mm-hmm. And then there's the crowd that we define our worth by 
bringing the guilty to be punished. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sometimes we define our worth by just being better than someone else. Sometimes we define our worth by making sure the guilty get their full dose of punishments. And that's when we have put ourselves in a very dangerous situation. That's why the Pharisees are confronted by Jesus so often, because they had esteemed themselves to such a degree that they were only consumed by making sure everyone else knew how worthless they were. That's a that's a difficult spot. It is. Being able to cast judgment on somebody mm-hmm. else. That's a scary place to be in. The irony, it is a scary place to be because it's so easy to get in it yeah. and you've deceived yourself I've done it. <laughs> into thinking that this is the Lord's will. It's almost as though, uh, like the Apostle Paul he did all things in good conscience up until that day. And yeah. so when he says that, that's going to include before his conversion, when he's breathing murderous threats, throwing men and women into prison, he did that in good conscience. So it's mm-hmm. how deceptive it is to measure our worth based off of just the the venomous uh, attack that we're going to put on somebody else that's not God's will. I'm the common denominator, as I hear you mention those three categories, are the woman and her worthlessness, the crowd, and the, uh, I guess, relief that at least I'm not as bad as her, and then the Pharisees' um, judgment is that, really, in the eyes of the Lord, none of them are worthy based on current events. That's right. But all of them are worthy based on what Jesus is willing to accomplish on their behalf. So there's this, his assets and debt, you know, page that he's filling out on their behalf is that none of them of themselves really have any asset that make them worthy in this. We can't say that, let's be more like this one. And all of their debt's pretty high. Absolutely. I have a... The only one that was correctly assessing the situation was Jesus. Right. Right. (laughs) And... He would not just say that he could correctly assess the situation. He would go to the cross and Mm -hmm. demonstrate on the cross, Mm -hmm. casting down the accuser, the the one who brought accusation, that he alone can determine worth. And so his death, as we come to him in obedience, is what determines our value in eternal terms. I had someone tell me one time, kind of maybe I read it, I can't remember. Either way, it rocked my world, the message did. And that was that if everybody was worthy except for you, like if you were the only one, somehow the billions of people on this planet lived a perfect life. Eden was this perfect garden state forever. And you were the sinner that Jesus would still have come to die. And it suddenly became a lot more surreal, a lot more personal. Because I can't hide in the crowd at that point and and start looking around at others because suddenly it's all about me and I am like the one who's been cast down at the feet of Jesus and everyone's pointing. So for as many times as I've been 
like-minded to a Pharisee, I've also felt like I'm down in the dirt. And I have to recognize that if I was the only one, he'd still have come. What a amazing picture that this woman beheld. And she looks up and finally no one is there to accuse her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've all left embarrassed, yeah. probably angry. I, I would just say probably angry at Jesus, but maybe really angry at themselves for not being successful and being embarrassed in, in such a marvelous way, such a creative way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm curious on your thoughts on what embarrassed them and I'll preface that question because I do like to ask lots of questions at once. Um, I have in my notes that I'll listen to a... all the questions. I'll just answer one of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, take your pick then. Um, here's my third question. Which one do you want to answer? No. <laughs> um, I have a note in my Bible that what Jesus' response is is a spiritual play on Deuteronomy 17:7, And the hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him and put him to death. And so he who's without sin gets to cast the first stone. When Jesus is hearkening back to that, he's basically calling out whoever set the trap and saw this mm-hmm. and you allowed sin to happen and, and on your watch this woman fell, it's time to step forward and be the first person to throw a rock. And so for me, the part of the embarrassment is whoever that person or persons was that set the trap realized, I don't want to say that in front of everyone that what I did, but if I'm going to obey the law, I'm going to have to. What, I, I think you're spot on. It's just something uh, we didn't talk about as the background of this story, but I think if we were astute in our Torah knowledge, as these uh, men would have been in the day, it wouldn't have go, gone unnoticed with the crowd that, well, h- how did they know this was happening? Yeah. Where did they, yeah. you know, and, and we can think of all sorts of scandalous details that would uh, take this podcast a little over the top. But sure. if you can use your imagination as to. This is PSB where, hyphen rated G. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> but if you can use your imagination as to how did these men discover right. what was going on in this situation, right. I think it's a very good possibility that an intentional trap was set to bring this woman before Jesus to try to trap him. A trap set to try to trap. I mean, what a spiral of cynicism and sin that the Pharisees had gotten themselves into, and it's exposed brilliantly by Jesus, Mm -hmm. as I think there's probably some hyperlinks to Jeremiah and to Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. uh, throughout this story. And when Jesus looks up and there's no more accusers, uh, according to the law, then she could go free. It wasn't that she hadn't sinned. It was according to the law, Mm -hmm. she could go free because... There's not two witnesses present. Yeah, there you go. So what Jesus did by scribbling in the sand and by saying let him who is without sin uh-huh. cast the first stone mm-hmm. is he provides a means of reconciliation for her while not breaking the law. Correct. Whoa. Yeah. That's, yeah. 
it's he's a poet it's phenomenal yeah what he does and all the while she realizes i'm down in the dirt but jesus is about right. to lift me up right and and that's really what uh, jesus does and she responds no one lord no one is left to condemn me and jesus says then leave in fact neither do i condemn you go and from now on yeah sin no more he gives her that challenge there's this expectation of of what worthiness is from the master it's not a license right. to continue to stay in the dirt that's right you know the very same one in his his most popular sermon when he says uh be perfect just as our heavenly father is perfect um we might think of perfection as something we're working on for our whole life as we should the expectation's still there and it's for her too I, right. I like the this comes full circle just as they you know they needed to be exposed for what they really were she needs to be exposed for what she really is and that is a daughter of the king who now gets to leave sin and live that kingly life. And and Jesus was giving her an opportunity to have her life changed. Mm -hmm. But it was up to her right. where she was going to walk back to. Right. Just like the man who got dropped in through the roof on the mat, didn't get up, carry his mat, get outside the house, and then ask for his four friends to come carry on his <laughs> mat back to his house. Right. He walked out of there because yeah. his life was changed. So when Jesus saves us from our sin full state, it doesn't make sense for us to return to our sin mm -hmm. because he has freed us from that. Mm -hmm. And so he's freed her from her accusers so that she now has the ability to live a transformed life. Amen. And that's, that's the purpose of acknowledging our worth in Christ. Yeah. And by having a an appropriate view of ourself. You know, uh, you, you hear a lot about self-esteem and how we should mm -hmm. have good self-care, good, self -care, self good esteem. But I, I don't think that uh, God speaks in those terms. I, I'd like to say we, we should have a healthy amount of God esteem. We, <laughs> we should esteem him highly. Yes. And then that allows us to view who we are in yes. a more appropriate place. Yes. So I don't, I don't want to encourage young people to have good self-esteem. I want to encourage them to have good God esteem, I like to esteem God appropriately. And here, how did she leave? Well, she esteemed Jesus more because of how he handled the situation. And then she left transformed because she realized her worth as a daughter of the king and as one who had been to the temple and was truly changed. Mm -hmm. Now she was she was leaving different, and al although she had things uh, that defined her in the past, now go and sin no more. Amen. And what a wonderful transformation! And uh, I I really think we're in a position to be able to do the same in our life. We might not mm -hmm. have the exact experience as her. Uh, what a tremendous story she had to tell. Yeah. And I'm so glad John, inspired by the spirits, shares this 
story with us because it's, oh, absolutely. it really cuts to the heart of who we are and our feeling of worth. But God's people, I think, will always struggle with what they're worth, and it's always, are we going to value ourselves in the way of the world? Are we going to value our self too highly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are we going to devalue who we are in Christ? And you see this happening throughout Scripture. You turn over to the church at Corinth, and they were placing all sorts of inaccurate values on each other. Right, right. Uh, hey, guys, let's eat before everybody else comes in yeah. because <laughs> uh, we're the rich folks and we don't want to share with the poor folks. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what was happening in yeah. Corinth, and that's why he says, I don't want you to participate in this Lord's Supper, what mm. belongs to the Lord and what defines your value mm-hmm. in a way that is what? Unworthy. Right. In an it's unworthy a, manner. And so and what's like doing that. it in an unworthy manner, not recognizing the body and the blood, well, it was placing an inaccurate value on who I am compared to someone else. Yeah. And somebody who does that has forgotten from whence they came. Mm. They are not grateful for what it took to rescue them from sin. All of a sudden we've arrived, so to speak. And so now I can begin to decide how much better I am than someone else, even though we might share the same bread, share the same cup. Yeah. I've arrived at a level of unworthiness because I have determined my value in a different way. Okay, we're going to put a pin in that for another day because I want to talk more about uh, the mindset of us this side of the cross. You're giving us a, a very practical example in 1 Corinthians 11, but uh, next time you're in Dallas, you're going to have to stop by and, and we'll pick up the conversation there because I do feel it's going to be a, a healthy one. But unfortunately, we're out of time for today. And so uh, maybe if we wanted to give our audience a final word based on this conversation we've had from John chapter 8 on the idea of worthiness, what would you like to tell our audience to as a, that sound bite for the road? Jonathan, first, I think it's important to note that a good podcast always leaves its listeners hanging a little bit mm-hmm. so if if we say let's put a pin in it and come back to it then then maybe we've we've done our job yeah yeah i'd also like to just encourage people that the discussion you and i are having today was in no way planned or scripted at all yeah, it's just uh, i was slightly sweaty and anxious <laughs> wondering well how am I going to interview someone when I don't have a planned notes? We we had something entirely different uh, as far as our discussion uh, sort of thought process today. But this is what's so fun and good about just sitting and uh, talking scripture. And I, I hope that our discussion is valuable to spur your thoughts. We've we've conjectured a lot about this story. And sure. it, it is a story, though, that... Intentionally, I think John gives uh, certain details and then leaves the reader wondering, right? 
What right. about this? What right. about this? And and that's the beauty of God's word is that it, it leaves us to, to wonder mm-hmm. so that we can keep coming back to it. And that's what we need to do with the stories of Jesus and his interaction with different people within the gospels is say, what can we learn from his interaction with these people and how he loved them and then taught them to love others? And mm-hmm. so I, I hope that as we walk away from this time together that we'll just remember that Jesus is worthy. Amen. And if we can focus on how worthy he is, that we can view ourselves as he sees us. And maybe even as the father looked down at Jesus and declared after he was baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We can step back and think, you know, the Father sees me in Christ mm-hmm. and says the same thing about us. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased. Yeah. Even even with my failings, even with my imperfections, even in all the areas I need to grow, if if we can hear the Father say to us, that's my child. And what a great reminder of worth and that's not going to encourage us to go out and just then live any old way that's right. going to encourage us like the woman who was picked up out of the dirt to go and sin no more because we no know more. how much he loves us and yeah. and i want to please my heavenly father amen and because he's pleased with me i want to do what his will is mm-hmm. and honor him and then our obedience to him comes from a healthy place amen so just remember that we're we're still worth the same no matter what we've been through to him. Amen. Well, thank you, brother, coming in. Thanks. I'm grateful. Good conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you. I want to thank Brother Kevin for coming into studio and recording with me. And, uh, you know, that, that conversation about worthiness, sometimes it's easy for us to think that, um, you know, it, wherever we're at is where others are at as well. And there really is a spectrum that we should be thinking about when, when we consider worthiness. Uh, people that have been born and raised in a Christian home, have been around Christian people all their life, are commingling in the Lord's church with those who are converted from a worldly life and uh, one where there was no background or upbringing uh, in any sort of Christian system. And so uh, you, you put all of these types of people together, and you're going to have a whole lot of diversity on what we think about worthiness. And there's going to be people who, no matter what they do, they always feel unworthy. And there's going to be people who have never experienced maybe the, the, the depths of darkness. And so there's this expectation that everybody should, you know, be like them. And man, both of those extremes, from that extreme unworthiness to an extreme self-righteous sense of worthiness, uh, need a course adjustment. And so I'm thankful that we were able to consider John 8 and consider that in that narrative, there was not a single person other than Jesus who was worthy on their own merit. You know, there was uh, those who were not able to control themselves. They were caught in adultery. There were those who were not able to control their self-righteous judgment, and they were caught in the lie that they, by their own merits, were worthy. And yet, 
all of them, whether it be the woman who was caught in adultery or whether it be those that were wanting to stone her, all of them were worthy, meaning they were worth Jesus dying for. They are worth that redemption price. And so we can take that on as well. I hope we'll own it, that we're worth it, that we're worth it in God's eyes and uh, that we should be worthy in one another's eyes of being sons and daughters of the king. So uh, maybe here I am having another sermon opportunity, and uh, maybe I should jump off my soapbox. You can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. There's a lot of resources there for you to utilize and use, download. They're absolutely free to download, so go check it out. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.